Welcome, Realm Walkers. My name is Bryce. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined here as well by Greg. Hello, hello, hello. And Carlin. Why, hello there. So uh, for today, we're going to kind of get into our first lore-based podcast. If you tuned in last week, we kind of did introductions, let let you guys know a little bit of like what we like about the, the lore, the story, and the hobby. But uh, like I said, we're going to kind of get into the foundations of what comes before the Age of Sigmar. Myself, I think the, the other two as well, think that it's kind of a good idea to lay a little bit of foundation so that once we do jump into the Realm Gate Wars to start, you guys will have a little bit of an idea of what happened before that, why, you know, this is happening, and just feel like it'll help you all understand the story just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Completely agree, because, like, there's a lot of... The setup doesn't make any sense if you don't know why we're here. (laughs) Why is everything so messed up? Why is there this guy named Sigmar walking around with his hammer? Why doesn't he have a hammer? What's going on? (laughs) Why does Sigmar not have a hammer, and why is he sad about it? (laughs) yeah that's something that we will get to in time because that's actually one hell of a story i'm looking forward to that but like i said we're gonna kind of lay some foundations so first kind of start though we'd like to talk a little bit about what we've been hobbying lately so we'll start with you carlin oh me wait greg doesn't get to go first told you it's stabby in the back bullshit Remote, get denied. I'm out the podcast. I'm gone. Finish it without me. <laughs> um, in regards to uh, what I've been doing, I have been busy with school, honestly. Just a lot of things going on. I have still been working, guys, taking my sweet time. I started uh, just kind of putting some base coats down on a battle wagon. It was starting to look like an orange carrot at first, but now it's got a lot more uh, texture to it and a little grittier. And nice. yeah, basically I've been just taking some time i'm about to paint up a model for a friend's DD character a model supplied by greg and his wonderful 3d printer not greg's wonderful his wonderful 3d printer yeah i'm not a wonderful person (laughs) (laughs) anyways but yeah that's about it like i've been just so busy with school i am looking forward to reading break and when i can just take it easy and hobby all week long it'll be great all right well then i'll go on to what i'm hobbying uh well like i said i think last week um i i'm kind of short on paints at the moment i was able to get some and i started working on my crisis suits i got all the paints that i needed except for the the blood angels contrast paint which is only the most important paint in that entire thing so um i'm working with like the half a bottle i have to try and get these crisis suits painted up uh nicely that's you know i'm very slow going on that once stores open up again which should be in a couple of days i'll be able to run and get some and actually be able to start really grinding through all of that and i'm actually on reading week so i'll have some time and hopefully at some point i'll get that little group of goblins finished that i started painting up a while ago you're already on reading break you lucky bastard uh, yep 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 all right bryson you're up last what have you been hobbying i haven't really done too much in the last week uh not gonna lie i had a, a game came out this week and i've dedicated a lot of time to it <laughs> <laughs> what have we been hobbying uh valheim <laughs> yeah that's been my uh that's been a hobby but not you know this hobby or inspiration <laughs> gathering yeah well with that in mind then my hobby is right now drinking the sour i brewed up and has been aging in a bottle for about a year it is delicious that inspiration in the bottle <laughs> I was going to say, I don't contone drinking before you start painting, but hey, whatever. It's how I get my best paint jobs done. <laughs> yes. 
So uh, today we're going to be covering the Age of Myth, and uh, later on we'll get into the following Age of Chaos. Yeah, we have to get um, through all of this boring stuff about gods doing cool stuff, so we can get to the real meat and the potatoes, the real gods showing up. You know, I have differing opinions, but we'll talk about that later. We're allowed to have wrong opinions. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> So to start, I feel like there's a really good part, a uh, really good paragraph out of the core book that kind of sets the mood for how the story, I guess, for uh, pre-Age of Sigmar starts. So, the breaking of the world that was, the great victory of the Chaos Gods, the End Times, that forgotten epoch has many names. Only the gods of yore and the inhuman slain remember it vividly, and the truth of its demise is buried in the dust of history. Yet there are those who still abide, their essence or spirit having survived the cataclysm that swallowed their world, or been resurrected by the powers bound to their soul. The god king Sigmar is foremost amongst them. His world was shattered, its core hurtling through the Aetheric void, but he clung on to it still, and was born towards the mortal realms, and then he found a set of realities crystallized from the scattered energies of his world. I just have something to add to that. Mm -hmm. So I've read the End Times books, and it's kind of fun, kind of almost as a prologue to it. Mm -hmm. Because the End Times, yeah, how the very last book, when all this shit's going down, and like they almost saved the world. It's all Manfred's fault that uh, broke apart. We'll talk about <laughs> Manfred at some other point, but... Yeah, it was all his fault for anyone who knows. They're going, yeah, that, that asshole Manfred. Um, but I love the the uh, sentence that says, in them he found a set of realities crystallized from the scattered energies of his world. In the old world, the what we know as the realms now were just magical energies. So like oh, yeah. Akshi, Olgu, all those were different magical energies. And I like the whole crystallized from the energies of his world. Those energies, that magic and such, became the realms that we know now. And that even plays up to how the realms work with some of their like individual rules and uh, little flexibilities and magic and such. It's so cool how mm. they carried that forward. Yeah, it was kind of interesting for me going and playing uh, Total War Warhammer and just being like, wait, why are all the winds of magic named after so and I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, that just makes sense. Because I went and read read the books. And I was like, hmm, that's, I just, I really liked how they did that. Perfect. Yeah, no, it's a great way to start and kind of ties into the end times in some way, shape, or form. So if someone wanted to, they could read the end times and then start into the uh, basis here in the core rules. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, again, uh, kind of back into right after, uh, you know, where it sets you up with that paragraph in the core book talks a little bit about how he was awakened in the void basically the dude was just like floating through space on the core of the world that was just clinging to it and this dragon just comes out he's just flowing through you know the void he's like oh hey the shit's shiny shows up and he's like oh there's a dude hanging on to it oh he ain't a bad dude and then just resurrects sigmar he's like hey i'll take you over here and like i just i think that's like a super simplified version of what happened, but like I just find it funny that it was just like you found them in space, just flowing on this rock, and then was like, "Here, you seem cool. Here's these realms for you. Just take over." I mean, I had this like funny moment when I'm I'm like sitting down to finally read this, 
And it just like goes, it was Sigmar awakened by in the void by the great Drake. And I'm like, hold up, who's the great Drake? Oh, there's a giant cool dragon in the void. Also, he's a cool guy and he's a nice dude and he wants to <laughs> hang out. Like, all right, I'm down for this. And then there were some later misunderstandings with readings where I got really mad because I thought that somebody had killed the great Drake. It turns out that he hadn't. And we'll get into it when it happens. But like, I really mm -hmm. got invested in this giant dragon from the void. <laughs> I mean, uh, all the like star drakes and stuff like that that the stormcast use are descendants of Dracothian. the great Drake Dracothian. Wait, so is is he still alive in lore at this point, or is I he... believe so. Okay, because I, I yeah I I was confused if he was still alive at some point. Like they kind of half mention him in a lot of parts in this. Mm -hmm. in, yeah, like he's just kind of either around or not. He's mentioned in the Seraphon battle tome. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's that's why I think he's still alive. Okay, okay. But yeah, so kind of after Dracothian picks up Sigmar out of space, drops him in the mortal realms, Sigmar decides he's going to go and, you know, find humans. Because there, there were some scattered tribes of, you know, mankind, stuff like that. They were roaming around, but they are nomads. They are using, like, flint-tipped weapons and stuff like that. Very much traveling from here, like, one food source to the next. Through time, he basically did a bunch of shit. Like, he went and beat the crap out of this giant beast. And then the people there were like, holy shit, you're, like, a godlike fighter. And then he's like, well, I basically am a god. So he started to convince a lot of these nomads and, like, tribesmen that he was a god to kind of start up his growth of power even more so than he already had in the mortal realms because like at that point he was probably one of the most powerful beings that wasn't like a giant beast or a gargant or something like that but like as he interacts with these tribes more and more they start progressing and they progress quite quickly i think the book mentions like it's just a couple of centuries before they start going into like towns cities and then even metropolises that's because they're not doing it on their own, correct? It, Sigmar was helping them out the whole time. He's like, yo, what if you built roads? And like, what's a road? And Sigmar then would tell them what a road was. Yeah, exactly. But like, the, the thing is, is like, he was there to help one civilization. But then like, when he went to move on, those people were still kind of stuck to their own, their own tools, their own kind of intuitive yeah. intuition and, you know, creativity, stuff like that. He does these civilizations. We'll cover it in a little bit. Sigmar actually he finds gods and other stuff like that in the realms, and they end up joining him, and that really helps with the progressions in the in the realms and stuff like that. Some of these gods that you know he finds and helps maybe aren't the best, weren't the best idea to save them, but. At the time, Sigmar had a reason for freeing these people and then trying to bring them to kind of a pantheon, as they call it. Well, he had a really great reason to bring them all together. We could say really great five reasons to bring them all together. <laughs> you want to know what? Nobody talked about them back then. Don't, don't worry. We, did, we don't talk about it. It didn't happen, right? <laughs> yeah, that was their mentality. <laughs> Carlin, you, uh, you've kind of gone a little bit more deeper into this uh you know a little bit more about the gods i think than i do so i think uh you'd be kind of good to throw a little bit of your uh knowledge around here when it comes to the gods 
like which gods were all brought into the Pantheon uh, yeah. to start off with. Well, like just which ones were there at the start, I guess. Okay, yeah. So if I remember right, obviously Sigmar himself, he was there trying to be big boss and order everyone around. Then my personal favorite goddess, Alaria, goddess mm-hmm. of life, that of the Sylvaneth, the Ever Queen, the true rightful god of the universe, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's a bit excessive. Hey, she's pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> she was part of that. Uh, then we also have Gorungi, kind of the god of the fire slayers, not so much the Caldron Overlords. Caldron Overlords have kind of forsaken all thoughts of godhood and all that. But we'll cover that in that point, I think, because that there's a lot there. I think Grogni is actually more for like uh, the dispossessed and like the more cities of Sigmar-based dwarves. Well, you know what? That's true. Yeah, because even the fire slayers don't necessarily regard him too too much. They do. Yeah, they appreciate. They acknowledge him. him more than the fire, or sorry, the Caldron Overlords do. But yeah, no, it's definitely more towards the dispossessed. I would say. Yeah. Then we have as well uh, Gorgamorka for a brief little while. Gorgamorka, the god of all things like destruction, the orcs, the gits. Green boys. Yeah. Green boys indeed. And, you know, even to a smaller extent, the sons of Baymat, but to a much smaller extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he is kind of the big boss of all those. And then uh, lastly, though definitely not least by any stretch, as we'll find out later. Nagash. No, he's least. Yeah, you know <laughs> that's only because I don't like Nagash. Yeah, I I think uh, I think a lot of people don't like Nagash, but you know, for uh, every person that does dislike Nagash, I think there's someone that does like Nagash. Going back a little bit though to Gorkomorka, I really really love the fact that like all Sigmar had to do to convince him to join the Pantheon was just you know have a good old strap. Well, they just uh, they mention it here that they literally flattened mountains. They fought for six days and nights, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. yeah, they flattened mountains. They shook the realm of Gur. And pretty much they kept them fighting and fighting until the end. They both collapsed out of exhaustion to start laughing about it. Yeah, like that's that's fantastic. So that was actually where I was talking about earlier, because later on in the book, they, they, they discussed that a little bit more in depth. And the first line is that, like, after they free Gorkamorka, he strikes down Draco- Dracothian. Yeah. And they did, they just said strike down. Now, I guess it meant that they just, he hit him really hard and, like, knocked him, like, unconscious. I thought that he had killed Dracothian, and I got really upset. I was like, what are you, why are you friends with Gorkamorka? He killed our cool dragon friend. But apparently, <laughs> he's fine. And I was actually really shocked because... You know, coming off of this, like I said, coming in as like somebody who doesn't know the lore as well, I categorize like each of the different like factions in the games as like different almost pantheons of gods. So I just assumed that Nagash and Gorkamorka were completely separate from Sigmar. Mm-hmm. And you know, now I'm getting this this viewer is like, okay, no, there's two pantheons of gods in reality. There is the pantheons of gods that belong to the mortal realms, and while they're not necessarily all aligned, they're all uh, they're all aligned in the in the sense that their power is drawn from the same source that being the mortal realms with then the second pantheon being the gods of chaos who draw their powers from elsewhere mm-hmm. and that was really kind of interesting to sort of learn about all of them as uh you know as as i was reading through because i hadn't really been experienced to most of these gods and a lot of them don't really get talked about i guess outside of their specific battle tomes mm-hmm. so 
like I only really know about the gods that have been brought up in the books that I read, and since I keep reading chaos books or I have chaos battle tomes, they don't get brought up all that much. Yeah, no, there's a there really is two pantheons. There's the the pantheon of chaos, and then what I guess you would call the the broken pantheon. So the pantheon of the mortal realms. Though we haven't got into it, the broken pantheon is quite correct. Yeah, and I hope some Fire Slayer fans don't get uh, too mad at me when I bring up the one god that we uh, forgot to mention there. He took the, he ended up taking the Broken Pantheon bit a little too serious. So uh, one thing that I really liked was when Sigmar saved like each god that ended up becoming part of his Pantheon, they all ended up giving him a gift for that. You know, Grudney said that he would uh his gift would to be to help sigmar advance his civilizations and stuff like that i believe malerian his gift was to build the gladiatorium for sigmar yeah it was the gladiatorium my favorite one is grimnir he's just like hey i don't want to like wait forever to pay you back so what can i do literally right now i don't know if sigmar just straight up told him to go and find Volcatrix. The book just, the next thing you know, the book's just talking about how Grimnir's, you know, just hunting down Volcatrix through Akshi to, he just wanted to, just wanted to kill the thing, I guess. But yeah, Volcatrix, the mother of salamanders and the mythic creature that first birthed flame into the worlds. And this is the thing that Grimnir's like, I'm going to kill it. Okay, so I have a question then, because this is the thing that immediately went to my brain. Mm-hmm. So if Grimnir, at least, I guess I don't know all the connections, uh, he does look very Fire Slayer-ish, and so you, like you're saying, mm-hmm. the Fire Slayer players might get mad. So I assume that there, I assume that there was a connection to the Fire Slayers there, like he was either their sort of like patron or what. Yeah, he is their patron deity. Like he is okay. their god. So because he killed what I believe they called the the mother or the person who birthed flames into the world, and they're called the Fire Slayers. Is that name literal? Because they literally killed fire. Like, is that what the name come from, or am I? I mean, they didn't. It's not like they killed fire and it's gone. But yeah, I guess because uh, they're really they're based off of an archetype of dwarf from fantasy, the Slayers, and you know they're just they live in volcanoes now and stuff like that. So I think that's more where the name came from. I actually have to go through the Fire Slayer battle tome and read up. It probably tells me there. I'll get back on that. Mm. <laughs> I do need to apologize. Yeah, I forgot about Grimnir and also forgot about uh, Tyrion, Teclis, and Malarian. Don't know why I forgot about them, but yeah. So they're all players as well. But Grimnir was very, very quick as he was kind of like, uh, I want to pay off this deck, get rid of it. Oh, Tyrion yeah. and Teclis kind of had their own goals. And Malarian, well, very little is known about Malarian because he likes to hide in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even now... There is one god missing, and that comes to the broken part of the broken pantheon relating the Grimnir. The fight with Volcatrix was, like, so intense and so crazy that they literally, like, they created the plains of Akshi because they destroyed all the mountains in the area. And if you ever get to check out a map of uh, the flame Star Peninsula and stuff like that, the Plains of Akshi, the, the map that came with Soulbound, gives you a really good representation of it. But at the end of that battle between the two, they literally exploded each other. And um, that's kind of, uh, when they exploded, they combined their essences together, and that's where Urgold comes from. 
which is kind of like the the core feature of the Fire Slayers religion. They want to go and grab all this Urgold and combine it together because they think it'll bring uh, Grimnir back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then there's Caldron Overlords going after Aethergold, but that's a different substance even then. Yeah, I don't know what... Like, is there any actual godly basis for that? Or is it just like, here's magical clouds of stuff? I believe there <laughs> is a godly basis. I'm forgetting exactly what. I just know the Caldron Overlords don't worship any gods at all. They are very... Yeah. Almost like, I would say, an atheist society. Absolutely. They're... Uh, they're pretty much an atheist society they're just like well we acknowledge that gods are a thing but we're just going to also not have any prayer or worship in our culture it's something that like i've i've talked about a lot to my friends where it's like atheism in a world in which gods exist is not the same as atheism in our world atheism in a world in which gods walk among you is we recognize your power but we don't recognize your divinity or we don't recognize your authority Mm -hmm. like because you can't deny sigmar could just roll up any minute and be like what's up you can't deny that he's there but you can't either divine that he deny that he is in fact a divine being or he's just an incredibly powerful being or you can uh, deny his right to authority and run your own course. So that's the way I've always used atheism in a world in which gods are very clearly real. Mm-hmm. I just am imagining Sigmar pulling up next to a Caldron Overlord ship in this like Chevy version of a Caldron Overlord ship and be like, taking off his glasses, be like, what's up? <laughs> Putting on his glasses and it's speeding a lightning bolting away. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of when we talked about how uh, the gods and everything kind of were part of Pathion, like it's really kind of cool how they were all brought together but then through their own hubris or various different things which we'll cover shortly they kind of broke up it just oh, it yeah. shows how much the gods themselves have their own personalities yeah and how each of those personalities are a huge factor not just oh this god believes in this and this god's this but they all work together no 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 these gods are kind of at the edge of their seats uh, ready to stab each other at any moment Mm-hmm. I think that might be, and this might just be me being a little unfair to him, but I feel like from what I have read, that might have been part of the fault with Sigmar with the way he structured his pantheon. He structured his pantheon a very specific way, but he didn't really put all of that much effort into accounting for each of the gods' different desires to make sure that they were like fulfilled and what they wanted to do. He just wanted to slot them into his pantheon and be like, you're part of my pantheon now. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and he tried to give them jobs that worked, but like ultimately, like Nagash is a dick. Yeah, like ultimately, <laughs> there's only like like there was no way that he could really keep his pantheon together. Like you can't keep Nagash. Like Nagash is too selfish. Gorka Morka is too like unchained. Like it's it just doesn't work. And we definitely will cover it more when we get that specific section. But, like, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate task that Sigmar just would not be able to accomplish. I don't think anybody would have been able to accomplish it, honestly. Absolutely. For all the, you know, misgivings of the gods and, like, you know, them eventually strewing stuff up, the Age of Myth is was actually a really good time to be just an average person living in the realms. The Age of Myth saw an untold amount of progression and, you know, cities were thriving. There was just, it was basically just like great wonders were popping up everywhere in the mortal realms. Yeah, there's a little section in the book. Oh, yeah. And it mentions, it talks about that the, 
the scowl, the weather-torn scowl that they would make great claims that each would have visited the great wonders of the mortal realms. And that it is in theory possible, but it would have taken them over a century. That like century of straight travel for one person to visit each of the wonders of the realms that the humans were living in. Like that is how big the scope of human civilization had gotten at this point. There was so much prosperity under the the watch of Sigmar's pantheon that you would take a hundred years for you to see even just the most amazing parts of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's really cool. And like, I really like, I really like how this even kind of mirrors the other game or the other Warhammer game with 40k where you know everything is just awesome everything's getting you know fantastic and then bad stuff starts to happen yeah but again we're not talking about that lore we're talking about Age of Sigmar so we'll stay away from that for now the age of myth was a very much an age of prosperity almost like perfection and healing like after the world was blown apart in the end times and everything was kind of rebuilt by sigmar kind of starting to thrive again there's one part where it kind of mentions that sigmar was going through the realm slaying big huge beasts and such just so the people had a chance to survive uh including for those who love playing giants the grandfather (laughs) of the gargants uh yimog the father or it says sire but father of baymat so, like, he's gone through, gone out of his way to clear out, make the world a much more hospitable place for humans and elves, dwarves, everything, so they can thrive together. And I kind of really like how it shows that he took a very hands-on approach to helping the world and trying to save and trying to make it survivable for life of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And, like, especially early on, uh, like I said, how, like, he was dealing with, like, a lot of tribal uh, tribesmen and, like, nomads and stuff. I think him going around and just like, hey, watch me punch the shit out of this really big beast. And then he goes and he literally punches the shit out of it. These people are going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to follow this dude. So, like, having that kind of hands-on approach really yeah. did help him win over the people of the realms. <laughs> well, because it was it was also more than that, too. Like, at this point, you know, Sigmar is is traveling the realms. And it's not just that he's punching big monsters. It's that Sigmar is, like, to some degree, looking upon the people of the realm, finding what it is that they value, and like showing that he has those qualities of he has the qualities of a leader, but also has the qualities that they're looking for as mortals. Mm-hmm. Like you said, when he went to the realm, you know, the giant beasts, he punched a giant beast, and that's what would that's what brought them to his side. And he was he he would went you know he went realm to realm looking for people to try to bring in by appealing to what the people wanted mm-hmm. and. Enforcing that, like, once under his rule and under his civilization, like, how far their civilizations could thrive, which is why it was such, like, a mythical time, because there's all these legends of these amazing works of him and the different gods working together as they're bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think doing all all that, like, I, I really think it was kind of a, a double-edged sword eventually for Sigmar. Because, like, sure, he came into the realms and he made everything fantastic for the longest time. Nobody really knew much strife or anything like that. Like I said, everybody was progressing at, like, a fantastic rate. Everything was A-OK. But there gets to a point where, you know, when these cities start getting to millions of people, you can't stop bad things from happening. And it also, when people start realizing that they can have control over 
this many people, you know, they start doing things to keep that kind of control. And so this is a point in time where you really start to see the gods of chaos trying to sneak their way into the mortal realms. Because at first, really before civilization started the boom in the realms, the chaos gods just couldn't get in. The the magic was so pure in the in the realms that chaos couldn't just couldn't get in. But once, you know, civilization starts to thrive, chaos starts to find little ways to get in. And like, it's really crazy stuff if you get into it. I like, I don't mind reading it, but I still, I stick more to order when it comes to my books. Just some of the just nefarious shit that chaos gets people to do is just it's crazy. The, the the writers at Games Workshop, they really do get a, get a little creative when it comes to that kind of stuff. I swear at times that they might bring in some have very traumatic past on purpose to write up some of the chaos stuff. Yeah, or like, I don't know. I feel like maybe they get, get some like horror writers and stuff like that to ghost write for them, maybe. I'm not saying that's, that's the truth, but like, yeah, dude, it... It's the reason why I stay away from some of the some of the stuff in the 40k universe because it just gets so so grimdark, so grimdark. <laughs> but I think that brings us to the next age, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah that's a nice transition into the age of chaos. In the realm of chaos, the dark gods reign supreme. Each has its own aims and obsessions, consumed by their ancient rivalry. And the great game that they play with the lives of nations, races, and even worlds. Their twisted armies will fight alongside each other well enough, so long as they bring ruin to the mortal realms. Corrupted tribes worship these hell entities in maddened zeal. Their humanity traded away for raw power. Encased in hell-forged armor, the champions of chaos car paths of slaughter through the realms. Mutants and monsters loom among their warbands, vying to catch the eye of the Chaos Gods. Savage fray herds of beastmen dwell in the wild places, intent on tearing down civilization and devouring its remains. The Ratmen, known as Skaven, extend their hidden empire, gnawing through the fabric of reality itself as they seek their own rise to dominance. Most feared of all the servants of the Dark Gods are the demon hosts, for they are Chaos Incarnate. They tried to keep us out, but it's rat time, baby! <laughs> oh, damn, Skaven. They always find their way back. So I think um, something that we should note, um, in the last section, we were talking about the Age of Myth in a very sort of... Dis- we were talking about the different stories and how things piece together. <laughs> um, that was because the Age of Myth in canon is a very scattered time. The Age of Chaos leading into the Age of Sigmar, a lot of those stories were lost. They were crushed and squashed out by the Chaos Gods not wanting people to know about them. So it's a very freeform collection of tales from that time that are very not so well known. As we move into the Age of Chaos, however, we're going to be a little bit more structured with the things because the Age of Chaos is a lot more well documented. We have a lot more concrete evidence of what was going on at that time, which makes it a little easier to break down into sections of events that were very important. So, I think then we would want to move on to the very beginning, which is the incursion of the demons. Yes. As civilization began to bloom, as would be expected, when the world that was died, the Chaos Gods didn't disappear. They just simply were left behind. And with time, inevitably, they would set their eyes upon the normal realm, the mortal realms, especially as Sigmar is now building them up. 
and there's more people around and civilization is happening. Now, the Chaos Gods, when they first would arrive to the mortal realms, they couldn't actually enter them. The magic was so pure and so perfect that there was no way for them to get in. However, as civilization would grow, the, temp the, the desire and temptation of power, wealth, excess would slowly start to corrupt the hearts of mortal men. And that would give chaos its purchase in our realm. See, there's a bit of, a, unfortunately, from the outside looking in, a lot of the time people see chaos incursions starting as these terrifying hordes of demons breaking through reality, but it's usually a much subtler downward slope that gets us to that point. The book gives us a few really good examples here of how people themselves led to chaos allowing purchase. Mm -hmm. The first of which is going to be, uh, and I'll go through them. The first happens, uh, what is the, uh, it, it's Chamon's in the Chamon's Hanging Valleys. A bunch of politicians all wanted power and control, and they all saw a shooting star that fell from the sky, and they would all wish upon it. And the next day, they would awaken, and each would find that their wish was granted. But what happens when you have 30 different people with 30 different desires all suddenly having their wishes granted? Well, of course, it would lead to bloodshed and violence because Zinch had actually granted all of their wishes, wanting to see the chaos that would follow. Uh, on the Great Plains of Gairan, Nurgle was watching as a bunch of humans were brewing a pox to sabotage their neighbors because they wanted to have the bigger harvest. So they, they, they made this big pox to poison their fields. And Nurgle was watching and smiling because obviously, well, these people are giving in to their temptations. And in the same plane, they were becoming infested with vermin and they would, they, the people would, you know, so infested with rats would <laughs> look up to the great horned one wearing the skins of the, of the greatest beast that they could fell killing all of the rat catchers, they'd wish for liberation for I, the Great Horned One, who would send hordes of rats upon them. And even the people who worshipped them would be desire, would be would be, um, be eaten as well. Yeah, they don't care. They'll eat everything. Oh yeah, now they're hungry. In in Ulgu's? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Uh, um, Ulgu. In Ulgu's, you know, in the Ulgu, these, poly, these you know, nobles, they just grew bored. We, we've got civilization. We have everything. What do we do now? Well, then they slowly would develop these like more debased tendencies, starting out <laughs> small at first and building and building, allowing Slaneshin. And then we would see in perhaps the most triumphant moment for chaos would be Akshi. Oh, yeah. With Korn? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Akshi. He, he wasn't so subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Korn is not a subtle person. But actually was the perfect place, and this would ultimately be the best staging ground for Chaos's incursion into our realm. Actually was already a fiery temperamental plane where people were passionate and like uh, even in, they say even in peaceful times, people were very, very likely to go to war with each other. Oh, yeah. So in Akshi, Sigmar showed up and he started civilization and it worked. They had a civilization, but it wasn't all civilized. There was the civilized people of Akshi. And then there were the savage barbarians. And of course, the civilized people have actually said, oh, pff, barbarians can can go run out there, play with their toys and sticks. We'll stay in our cities. We're, we're untouchable until these people would slowly start to, you know, engage in blood sacrifice, in blood rituals. And then while they might have been scattered at first, they would slowly all fall under the banner of the war uh, warlord. Corgus Cull, who we're going to be seeing a lot more of, oh, yeah. and he would unite all of these, all of these uh, tribes, 
and he would lead them in a what it was called uh, uh, what it was called a contest of bloodletting, and they would all join his cause and battle each other. But they were focused, and it was through them that they were able to basically tear down all of these civilizations that had been created that actually had been completely overrun as corn basically through Corgus Cull was able to contort was able to take over this realm yeah. completely. I think it's really crazy. One of like the worst things that Curtis did was after like the battle, the survivors, he gave them a choice. You either feasted on your the like the corpses of your dead brethren or you die. So like it was either he forced these guys to eat their brothers in arms and join him and follow yeah. him under corn, which I don't even think at the time he knew he was following corn until like basically everything uh, came to a boiling point. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the thing is like a lot of the time you're 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 like these people would be praying in service of the chaos gods. They don't even know. Mm-hmm. They just know they want war and they want bloodshed and those that engage in it are granted power and they don't understand necessarily where this power is coming from, but they know that there is power here. And, you know, by the time you find out that there is this skull God, you're either too far in or you don't care anyways. Oh yeah. You know, you've already reaped enough skulls that you're like, you want to know what? What's one more? (laughs) Exactly. I am just imagining Corgus call going through the streets Instead of saying cake or death saying cannibalism or death, cannibalism (laughs) or death. (laughs) Yeah. It was uh, more like at spear point. Yeah, well, I think axe point for him specifically. But yeah, so like it was through all of these events that we would see. Now, Chaos, unfortunately, through mortals, uh, the weakness of mortals was able to once again find purchase in the mortal realms. And of course, this couldn't have come at a worse time because as we discussed a little bit earlier, <laughs> Sigmar's pantheon was absolutely not doing so hot um, at this point. Which would lead us directly into Carlin's section. Breaking of the Papion. So yeah, as uh, he was just, Greg was just saying, um, Papion was definitely not doing the best. Um, they were very broken up, very, they were arguing, disagreeing on things, you know, politics. Yeah, they, they very much want, each wanted their own vision and then like for their realm. And then they wanted, they really did get kind of greedy and want to expand out and like control the other people. Like Nagash and his Mortis Crusades, that totally didn't upset anybody. Yeah, like they each were, had very specific things in mind for their realms. But yeah, they were each greedy. They each wanted to expand. Uh, they each wanted to control more because in the end absolute power corrupts absolutely oh yeah yeah and and not in every case that they want to control more some just didn't want to be doing what sigmar had told them to do yeah like we see with i mean we see with what's uh, um why am i blanking on the name the one that starts with an m shadow guy malarian malarian yeah malarian you know it wasn't like he was trying to grab for all this power he just didn't want to be involved he's like i oh yeah I made you your pant. You made you your coliseum. Bye. Like mm-hmm. I got shit to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> and then we have you know Tyrion and uh, Teclis. Hey, I'll get there. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, get there. I mean, one thing that I think also kind of wore down on the other gods was the fact that like every day you wake up and you see how much of a good guy Sigmar is, and you know, hey, maybe he's not the greatest guy, but at the same time, you're having like this guy, you're looking at his buildings, you're looking at his monuments, even though they're in your realm. So, 
Yeah, I did kind of understand a little bit of the stain towards the man. Yeah, Sigmar's just standing there, be like, yeah, see, I saved all these people. See, well, see that big beast over there? Hammer time! <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so they have been, you know, arguing. They're also trying to deal with the fact that chaos seems to be seeping in mm-hmm. and starting to affect their control of their individual realms. So kind of going into that, Alariel, who was a very powerful ally of Sigmar, they got along really well, and he utilized her to bring life to realms. Because it like says here that wherever she uh, walked, she sowed seeds of uh, growth and life. So essentially, she was going around uh, bringing life everywhere, even to deserts, to very hostile places. It says here that flesh uh, uh, desiccating uh, deserts uh, became oasis of exotic life and of sentient plants. Uh, Arid salt flats became tillable fields that sang life. Essentially, he's like, hey, Alariel. Everywhere you walk, life seems to spring up. Can you go walk over this way? Sure, why not? And she would just go around and spring it. But that means that she was away from her realm of Gairan. And Gairan, the realm of life, attracted a very jolly, a very generous god hmm. whose name is Nurgle. Nurgle had basically coveted Lariel's realm. Like he wanted Gairan, he wanted to be there. And he took advantage of when she was away, you know, and started. Hmm? I, I just, I think that, you know, as a gardener, he was just, he was really appreciating another person's garden. And, you know, maybe he appreciated it in a way that was like, hmm, I can make an even better garden than that garden. Yeah, he was very much like, you know, that garden's great, but why don't you try my gardening? Because, you know, stuff I do way more life comes out of it <laughs> oh no yeah. but yeah because uh once skyran started being infected a bit she felt incredibly guilty and felt anger towards sigmar thinking that it was his fault because he was the one who asked her to go to other places and he blamed sigmar for the realm uh falling a bit and so she more or less became a recluse mm-hmm. curing herself in the areas untouched in Gairan and kind of worked to ward off nurgle the best she could she definitely she kind of pulled a sigmar where she fell backwards like into her own realms and like made sure she was safe but uh i don't know how much i agree with her kind of falling back into if i if this is how i'm gonna die this is how i'm gonna die situation where yeah she made some questionable choices Mm -hmm. uh she was very much the god of life not a god of war at this point yeah and i was gonna say I really like the new aspect that they've given her since the Realm Gate Wars. I this this Lyrio, not too much of a fan of the new one. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> but yeah, then we talk about Gorkamorka, and we already talked about how he kind of fought for, <laughs> with Sigmar for it wasn't six, sorry, it was twelve days and twelve nights. But Sigmar found so Sigmar and Dracothian found Gorkamorka basically engulfed in a giant ooze known as Dracotoa the living avalanche. So they freed him from this giant ooze thing. And then Gork Morka had had so much pent up rage and anger. They attacked near singing to him. So he struck down Dracothia and basically knocked him out and then started fighting Sigmar. And they fought for 12 days and 12 nights. And then they fell over to start laughing and became drinking buddies as you do. Yeah. <laughs> Gork Morka then was indebted to Sigmar. And so he, agreed to Sigmar's request of directing his temper at the enormous uh, beast that roamed Gur. 
so he started going around killing all his beasts some maybe smaller god beasts and such but this was done so that tribes of men elves dwarves whatever could live and thrive and so uh gork morka just did that and it says here at one point corn had to respect gork because so much blood was spilled so many huge skulls were left on the ground yeah corn was like dude respect <laughs> but then uh once corn found out the reason why he was doing this that gork gorka was doing it to help sigmar uh, at Sigmar's request, he it says that he started laughing so hard the sky started thundering, wrecking his laughter. And this is because he knows that Gorka Morka is very much not a person to be chained. He's very freed and very, very animalistic. I loved, it mentions that Gorka Morka started getting bored of the debates, all the politics and everything that was happening with Pantheon. And I just imagine him kind of staring blankly as all these people start arguing and said, not directly fighting, just arguing and kind of like open jawed, like, uh, and then him getting so angry that people <laughs> are just debating and debating and apologizing that he grabbed the nearest table, flipped it over, and stomped out of his ear. <laughs> you got time for this shit. He's got to go smash stuff. Exactly. Well, it says here that he led a great wall from one side of the cosmos to another, leaving other mayhem in his wake. So he just want, you know what? I'm out of here. And I just start trampling all through realms, causing chaos and destruction. Then he talks about Grungi. So dwarves, Durden, what do you want to call them? They never forget a debt. And so he worked to further the goals of his year and repaid, repaid his debt three times over. Because, you know, if I'm going to pay off debt, I'm going to get a debt back type idea is what I imagine he was thinking. He was the one who forged or by his hammer. Uh, he helped forge the Anvil of Apostasis and the Crucibles of Reforging, things that Sigmar would use later. Then he made Aether Gold, the arcane element, so it becomes so uh, central to existence for the Caradonna children. So there's kind of the godlike connection there. More or less, he stayed working with Sigmar. He knew his people are hard workers and such, but they know he knows that the more pressure is applied to his people, like diamonds, the more they shine. And so he kind of let his as his children, the dwarves, all fend for themselves against chaos, against natural disasters like mountains toppling, avalanches, volcanoes. So then over time, half the survivors took to the skies, the Caradron, and the other halves were either on the land or in the volcanoes. And yeah, because of this, though, Grungi couldn't really ever live down. As mentioned before, the Caradron essentially became atheist society. And his people all kind of held a grudge towards him because of this. He eventually uh, passed on his duties to the six myths uh, that he assembled to work for Sigmar. And then kind of disappeared into the legend, more or less because, once again, his people were so grudged against him that he had to let go. Then we get to the elves, the twin god elves, Tyrion and Teclis. They were buddy buds with Sigmar in the old world. They good friends. They missed their buddy. They're like, holy crap, you're alive. You survived. Holy crap. What have you done? You've made this world? Wow, dude. Technical terms. Exactly what they said. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. Everyone's like, what's I, up, bro? <laughs> bro. They taught um, people uh, different sciences, philosophy, Teclis, yeah, Teclis taught him science and magic. Uh, Tyrion was teaching the people of Azir um, military um, acumen and athletics. Then their own arcane studies were leading towards the fringes of reality and the regions where they found their old nemesis, Blanesh. 
And because they found Slanesh, they stopped, slowly stopped working with Sigmar and they started focusing on their plans in regards to Slanesh with Malarian and to rescue the lost elven souls that Slanesh gorged himself on. Because Slanesh was so pretty much when humanity and all that fell, like everyone fell in different ways. When the elven souls started dying, Slanesh was like, hello, tasty souls, and started gorging himself on the elven souls. Oh, yeah. And because of this, when Tyrion and Tekla saw, oh, wait, there's a way to recover these, they went about trying to do this with Malarian. So Malarian was a shadow king from the Old Realms, whose previous name was Malekith. And he, since he has combined with his dragon, uh, whose name was Seraphon, I think the reason why GW did this because they like named Seraphon and it's something they could trademark compared to Lizardmen. So they combined Malarian or Malekith with his dragon becoming Malarian. And then they transferred the name Seraphon to what were Lizardmen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Malarian, he needed a little coaxing to get away from Sigmar's Pantheon. Uh, pretty much his coaxing was all techless and Tyrion. Like, hey, we need to do this. But he created a gift for Sigmar. The called the Gladiatorium. It was a many-layered arena of illusion, so vital and convincing that Azerite warriors that had trained there could fight at full tilt, even slaying one another in battle, only to walk out unharmed at day's end. And I just imagine it's like this a great way to training people because you could go about slaughtering your friends and enemies and all that and just walk at the end of the day and be like, hey, want to go to the pub? Yeah, man. Fun for the whole family. Just all show up, murder each other, and walk out okay. There's no way that couldn't be traumatic. No way. But you want to know it's Warhammer, these people fucking eat trauma for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah, they're about to. Exactly. And then we get to everyone's favorite homeboy, Nagash. No. Boo. Boo. Boo Nagash. Boo. (laughs) So at one point, the alliance between Nagash and Sigmar had almost been strong. Some would even say like the strongest bond between all the different gods. I think that was, if I remember correctly, Nagash had like super bad amnesia when he first came back. And like, he didn't know how much of an asshole he was. And then Archon was like, hey, I'm going to remind you of who you were. Good, good possibility to that. Yeah, they both recognized each other as basically a necessary major force uh, needed for the universe. Because without uh, the thralls and the gash, there was no way civilizations could have grown as fast as they were. Because otherwise people just would be dying and going through natural process because they would die. And the gash would be like, hey, get back to work. <laughs> and so they did, you know, never leaving their posts. If you're a construction worker and you die, guess what? You're a construction worker forever on. And because of this, the realms were able to develop very quickly. Because of this, though, some people start feeling uneasy against Nagash. Like, they would see skeletons and such walking around at night and kind of made people question things. I mean, it's probably not as much fun when, like, oh, there's just a undead that are helping out. But, like, suddenly you see Grandpa slaving away. Like, I feel uncomfortable about that, too. Hmm. Yeah, just a wee bit. Eventually, the realm of death came under attack from chaos. Nagash right away defended his holdings, defended his realm. But this is where everything started kind of falling apart between him and Sigmar. So Archeon invaded Shyish by uh, using barbarians to fight all the skeletons and various other forms of death. He then used his um, barbarians. He had them drown in lakes of blood or slay another in ritual combat so they might reach the underworld of Shyish. So essentially it's like, hey guys, 
the way you're going to get to the realm of death is by killing each other, drowning lakes of blood, doing whatever. But you need to die, and that's how we invade Chayish. So metal. And yes, that is metal as fuck. One would even say death metal. But um, bum. <laughs> I mean, like it's just it's just the perfect oh, plan. Like Nagash is like, my realms are inseparable. Only the dead can enter. And then like all the guys killed themselves. He's like, oh shit! <laughs> I didn't think that you'd all show up dead. Uh, I'm in charge. No. All right. I guess this is a war then. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why this started affecting uh, Nagash and Sigmar's relationship was Sigmar or Nagash or he was able to battle off the grand forces of Archeon, but Sigmar, Nagash's ally, was nowhere near to be seen. This is where Nagash started becoming very bitter and spiteful. He's like, "Wait, you didn't help me, you asshole!" He started closing off himself and started kind of plotting against Sigmar. He started having his own plans. Yeah, eventually he battled in the all points against Archeon. And, or they were battling over all points. All points was basically a realm where people could bridge to all the other realms. It essentially had portals to everywhere else. And obviously then all points was a very valuable location. Yeah, I, I really like, I think it's two plus tough's description of the, the all points, which eventually becomes the eight points. It's like a planet-sized continent. It's like... I don't know. Personally, for some reason, I imagine like a planet-sized Australia <laughs> that uh, that has just these absolutely massive realm gates, which are very important. We'll uh, we'll we'll have to talk about those a bit later. But like the these realm gates that they have in the all points that are kind of like the key feature of the place are like absolutely massive, and there's one for each mortal realm. So it's super mm -hmm. important. Very key location that they keep this place. Yeah, like yeah. this is why they're they're there is because if it falls, it's not good for anybody else, <laughs> except for chaos. Exactly, and this is where Nagash started became well known as a dick in the universe because they're battling all the chaos warriors and all points. They were kind of winning death and order forces together. They're like, yeah, we're doing this, and then Nagash had his forces turn against the force of order and start killing them. He betrayed Sigmar, he betrayed all the rest of the Pantheon. He basically is like, yeah, no, I'm going to take out you guys, take out you, because I think you're a bigger threat to me. This betrayal led Sigmar into an absolute rage, and he tried his best to get revenge on Nagash. He failed. Oh, yeah, he just basically went into a rage and just stomped his way all the way through Shyish to try and beat up Nagash, and then he came back. He's like, oh, shit, all my guys are dead. Oh, no. Absolutely. But he wasn't able to succeed, and he's held on to anger for a good long time, including oh, yeah. the current storyline. But then this brings us to the next point, the Battle of the Burning Skies. Yeah, so there, there was a lot of stuff that led up to the Battle of the Burning Skies, but this one is kind of like, this is the final kind of turning point for how the story ends up in the Age of Chaos. So basically, like uh, like we were talking about earlier, demon hordes are pouring into the mortal realms and stuff like that. Cults and followers of the Chaos Gods are, you know, they're showing up all over the place. 
Sigmar didn't want to just sit back and let the shit happen. So what, what he does is basically he goes out and he finds like the biggest, most powerful demons that he can. And he absolutely annihilates their demon hosts. He beats the crap out of the demons and sends them back to the realm of chaos. So he does this several times, but the issue is he can only be on one battlefield and there's thousands of battlefields across these realms. So even though Sigmar can't be at each of these battlegrounds and like Chaos is winning, they're not winning in ways that is really making a big enough impact. So Archeon, the Everchosen, you know, Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse, really cool title. Sounds like a badass. He has a little bit of sway over, you know, the forces of the Chaos Gods. And he manages to wrangle up these major demons from each of the chaos gods and he tells them hey you guys are doing good work by yourselves but you're not doing good enough work why don't we get together we'll go to this place and fight because we've already been winning stuff like at this point i believe they they've won the all points so they have like they can basically jump between realms as much as they want some of them get closed off, some of them don't. But all in all, Archeon's like, we can make a really big push against Sigmar and the forces of order if we band together. After enough persuasion and stuff like that, it takes decades for them to actually gather the forces and get ready to do this. That That's also one thing that like I think a lot of people don't realize is like, some of these major battles and stuff like that, there's like decades and centuries between them. So like, it's just kind of crazy to be like, okay, well, this is a really big, bad battle for them. And then it took another 60 years for this one. Like, just imagine how bad it was in between that to get to the next bad part in this. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, when you're mentioning the whole time frame, some people think it's battle after battle after battle. No, no, no. There, there's a lot of time in between. Sure, battles are huge and long-lasting, but isn't necessarily constantly like, oh, battle's done, time for an hour battle. Bye, guys. Yeah, like, it's kind of... When I when I go through the lore and stuff like that, I, see, I, I read a lot of things. It's like, yeah, this battle happened, and this battle happened, and this battle happened. So, yeah, I'm thinking like, oh, no, it's just a campaign, you know, running through. But no, like, these guys spend decades building up their hosts because, yeah, they bring 100,000 mortals to a battle. And that takes a long time to get that many people. So I really do like that. Um, but getting back, to, um, getting back to the Battle of the Burning Skies, it ended up basically once Archeon had gone, the forces of the four Chaos Gods showed up in the Fire Plains of Akshi. Each of the greater demons that Sigmar had beaten before showed up to the battlefield. So Sigmar was feeling pretty good. You know, he's like, oh yeah, I already kicked your guy's ass. I'm going to do this shit again. Round back for round two. Oh yeah. So the thing is, Urkion, you know, he earned his title of Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse. He's not just some Joe Schmo. He goes to the field, he kicks ass, but he's also a, a tactical genius as well. Yeah, so Archeon had a little bit of a trick up his sleeve in this battle, and he got a bunch of sorcerers and stuff like that of Zeech to open up an actual portal to the realms of chaos for reinforcements in this battle. He wasn't, you know, he was taking this stuff seriously. Um, but, you know, on the other side of the battlefield was Sigmar, 
And like I said, he was feeling pretty good because he's seen greater demons that he's already slapped around. He's like, I don't even have to travel the realms to find you guys. You're all here? Cool. So Sigmar gathers what is, the book calls them the 12 mortal tribes of Bellicose. Uh, fiery nomads and barbarians that they had spent pretty much since the start of the Age of Chaos. Um, that started when all the demons started flooding in and stuff like that. It was the end of the Age of Myth when the Age of Chaos. These guys have been fighting the whole time since the start of that. And these guys were super loyal to Sigmar. Even going by, like, even using his original name, uh, Sigmar Heldenhammer. But also joining them were the Dwarden, obviously Oathbound. These were Fire Slayers. You know, these were, I don't think the the Caradron Overlords were around at this point, but they had the Dispossessed. He had Orcs on his side, apparently Ranks of the Living Dead, even though Nagash had stabbed him in the back. He had, you know, Undead there again. Um... And I guess stranger things besides. Um, to, for Sigmar had many allies of his own to call upon. So basically, after, you know, both hosts are lined up across the field from each other, battle begins and it's bloody. Like, no quarter given, no quarter, or no quarter asked, no quarter given. The book goes on about dust led to dawn and to dusk again. So great was the clash of mortal monster and demon that the pyres of skulls raised to the glory of the dark gods were as mountains. So relentless was the carnage that for a year after the battle, the seers of the other realms saw a burning death's head when they looked to Akshi in the night sky. This was a crazy battle. Like, basically everything was thrown in. Like I said, forces of chaos had four like greater demons and their hosts there sigmar had to have something equal he brought his buddies in he brought his like secret buddies in i don't know but it was crazy why the greater on demons uh would have been a great unclean one and you just would have been grabbing at his uh giant boobs going my milkshakes bring you want to, I can actually imagine him doing that, reading how some of the Drayden and Clean ones <laughs> interact with people. is hilarious. Exactly why I bring it up. And then the uh, Lords of Change, uh, they would have been like, aha, see this trick? No, you don't. See, that's my plan. Aha, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the Bloodthirst would have been like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're, they're simple. They're here to fight to kill things. They don't need anything special. Mm-hmm. They just Corn want you wants, to die. Corn wants blood and skulls. Oh, yeah. yeah. A simple man of simple tastes. Yeah, and you know, on the on the other side of the battlefield, you know, the respective gods were doing kind of, you know, their trademark things to do. Uh, Nagash, during the battle of uh, the Battle of the Brain Sky, he'd spend a lot of his efforts just bringing back the dead. He didn't really want to commit very much strength, considering he just got slapped around by Chaos and then slapped around by Sigmar. He didn't really feel like, you know, bringing many people, but he was there bringing the dead back. They just kind of, you know, sent Gorkamork out there, and he was just, you know, clubbing entire sections of the battlefield off the battlefield. 
Like literally, just think of like if you're playing the game of Age of Sigmar on the tabletop, and another player just walks walks up and just like swipes ten models off the battlefield. Like that's basically what Gorkamorka was doing. I, I do not <laughs> endorse that. Do not ever do that to another person you play against on tabletop, even if you're upset. Don't go Gorkamorka. <laughs> on the other side, you know, a little bit more civilized, you had Techless just straight up banishing like unnumbered amounts of enemies off the battlefield. It's just like, yeah, get away from me. Don't want to see you. At the front was Sigmar. You had Dalmaraz, and he was just taking it to chaos. Because, like, really, who's going to hate chaos more than Sigmar? Um, Reasons to hate chaos. Yeah, you know, totally like not having or like totally like having your entire planet destroyed might make you a little upset with some people but yeah the book mentions here that seven times sigmar you know led the charge with all of his boys and they just kicked that crap out of chaos they are doing a damn good job of fighting on the eighth time something you know a little different happened so sigmar charges in gives his war cry and this time he meets the four greater demons that have been kind of running the show for the demonic hosts. And you know, my milkshakes. Yeah. The, my milkshakes and his boys or his, his milkshakes and his boys did nothing to stop Sigmar from just, you know, erasing his filth from existence with Galvaraz. Kicked the crap out of him. Sigmar just went through and, you know, he beat the crap out of all these dudes until he saw one man on the battlefield. He saw Archeon the Ever-Chosen. Again, Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse. I love saying that. But Sigmar has fought this man before in the world that was. And Sigmar didn't exactly win that fight, and he knows the weapon that Archeon uses, the Slayer of Kings. Not only is this a slayer of kings, but it's a slayer of gods. So, Sigmar being like, hmm, I'm going to big brain this. And he gets the glorious idea of taking the most powerful artifact in the mortal realms and just throwing it. He's just, yeet, and whips the thing. IQ 1000. Yeah, like literally the biggest big brain play of all time. And he whips his hammer, the source of his power. He whips it at his mortal enemy. And you want to know what? Dead in the chest. Puts it where Sigmar could have never thrown a more true throw. Except that wasn't Archeon, Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse. It was a portal that uh, Zinch had uh, made. And uh, just, you know, he made the portal look like Archeon. So Sigmar's sitting there and he's like, fuck, I just threw Galmaraz and I have no idea where it went. And I think you said the other day that Sigmar yeeted a hammer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Across the realm. He just yeeted it. What's the book say? The, the sky is cracked and boomed as Dalmaraz, the great shatterer, plowed from one realm to the next. Waves of destruction spreading in its wake. Through space and time, Dalmaraz hurtled on, leaving ripples in the Aetheric void that would spread out through all the realms. Like... He messed up. Yeah. He messed up. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, my guy, put a rope on it or something so you can bring it back. Like, <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's such a, it's such like a simple plan for chaos. Okay. So he's, he's got his big hammer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
All right, he's probably going to try to throw that at you. All right. What if we just made him throw it through a portal? Wow, that I, there's no way. Like, there's no way Zinch could have thought it would work. Like, I know Zinch is the planner, but he must have been sitting there like, there's no way this is going to work. There's no way he's going to throw his hammer through a portal. Yeah, but it worked. And you want to know what? Arteon got a good laugh in. He was so happy that he did that. Because, like I said, this was a major source of power for Sigmar. So now that he doesn't have his hammer, he's just like, oh, shit. And basically realized that the battle was lost and left. He retreated. You know, lucky as Sigmar is, being a god and all, he was able to make it out of the battlefield. But that wasn't really the same fate for his hosts. And Chaos just, just butchered them. Like, to a man. Probably, I think, if I remember correctly, this was, like, the worst defeat of the Age of Chaos. And, like, and basically what was... It's the defeat of the mortals. This was a defeat of gods. Like, Sigmar lost here. Yeah. It wasn't Sigmar's host losing. This was Sigmar himself losing. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, you know, a fatal loss or anything. But, like, this was, oh, fuck, I messed up. I need to go, and yeah, the gods of chaos absolutely capitalized on this. Like I said, they butchered Sigmar's army, and at this point, basically just had free reign of the mortal realms. They could do whatever they wanted now. Sure, there is pockets of, you know, resistance and cities of order that wanted to stand against it, but with Sigmar losing that battle, and once he got back to his realm of Azir and locking that door, there was really no turning back for the mortals of the realm when it came to dealing with uh, with the Chaos Gods. Yeah, he just locked himself in and said, sorry guys, everyone on the outside, you gotta deal with this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like things were good on in Azir at that point either. Chaos was in Azir, and they spent a long time getting rid of traces of Chaos in Azir. Yeah, everything was shitty at this point, pretty much for everyone. Oh, yeah. In 40k, they have a term, uh, Exterminatus, uh, <laughs> and that's what I feel happened in Azir, essentially, because Exterminatus is like, oh, Chaos corrupted a planet, we're just going to blow it up. Yeah, well, and it may not have blown up Azir, but it was very much oh, there's a possibility of a hint of chaos in you. Uh, bye, gone, die. Yeah. If oh, you interacted with someone in chaos, you must be infected, die. Oh, yeah, oh, you have a great heart, but your child is slightly corrupted. Okay, everyone in the family, die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of had to be done because if you didn't set that up, then there would be no way to take back the realms, like, there couldn't be any any chaos in Azir. It had to be completely pure, because if that place couldn't be perfectly pure, what hope did the mortal realms have, really? Mm-hmm. Sure. I, as much as I disagree with, you know, Sigmar's choices, having the, you know, being able to look and see what came of it is, um, yeah, pretty good. He, uh, I think he's at least started the right is wrong going into uh, the Age of Sigmar and stuff like that. But again, I can't really say you could ever fix the mistake of abandoning literal millions and millions of souls to chaos. Yeah, Sigmar had tough choices to make. Oh, yeah. 
think they all did and nobody nobody's perfect not even gods and that's that's one thing that i like about uh age of sigmar is it chill it shows you just how flawed gods and stuff like that can be absolutely they're almost human with how they act you know they act very childish sometimes <laughs> and that brings us to the dominion of chaos and of course with the utter defeat of sigmar and Chaos's triumph in the mortal realms, the spread of chaos was left completely unchecked, and we would move into the complete and utter dominion of chaos. And I want to read the first little blurb here as well. Without Sigmar to hold it back, the scourge of chaos spread to the mortal realms like an uncontrollable infestation. As decades stretched into centuries, the lands themselves twisted into terrifying new vistas. In places, they crumbled away entirely. To live in these terrible kingdoms was to know purgatory beyond tolerance. So it wasn't just that chaos came. Chaos came and it warped. And with each land that, or each realm that a chaos god would take, they would infect it in their own unique and twisted ways. For example, in the realms of corn, the land would become hard, untillable. And the rivers would flow like blood, curdling at the sides, flash flowing in the middle. And the people there would be so driven by hunger and thirst that they would just lash out at each other. The rich above them, or the wealthy and the, the, the people of corn's favor, would drink and have whatever water they wanted. But they didn't need it anyways, because those who truly worshipped corn could be fed or could be sustained simply by the blood and the meat of others every time they go to feed they would be adding to his is to the uh, adding to his altar of carnage in the lands held by slanesh the ground would actually soften almost to flesh large fissures of teeth filled mouths opening upon the ground the flora and fauna becoming profane and warped with you know luring pheromones to lure you in and lead you into a soft sense of security just before injecting you with toxins and consuming you. The people of this realm were crazed. They would dance with mad lunacy to discordant tunes, and people would run from it, but that music, it would get in your head. And soon you would find yourself desiring to join these like profane fairgrounds of, of excess and, and debauchery. And in the, you know, the lands of Nurgle, Instead of becoming wastelands, they flourished in the plague god's weird, twisted ways because the plague god is generous in all things. And people would be born mutated with disease and sick with his gifts, his poxes. And, you know, people might just melt overnight or bloat up like drowned uh, bodies. I don't want to even think about just like going to bed. Your buddy in the next room over just literally liquefied over the course of the night. That's just what happened. Nurgle's a swell guy. This is great. Nurgle's up there and he's being the nice guy. And he's like, you know what? You want to be goo, right? And you're like, I don't know if I want to be goo. And he's like, have you ever been goo before? And then you're like, you want to know what? (laughs) I haven't. You know, how bad can being goo be? I'll turn back, right? And Nurgle's like, yeah, totally. Totally. You'll you'll cycle right back in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nurgle is is very much... I want to give you gifts. Oh, you don't want my gifts? Too bad. Have them anyways. 
He's he's so nice. You just don't know that you want he's, his gift. He's yet. the best worst uh, gift giver. You know, you know. There's there's a there's an excerpt a little earlier about Nurgle if we're on a topic, um, and it's specifically about the first Mega. Oh King. yeah, I love that one. And That's a great one. <laughs> so it talks about in the great hospice a hospice of King Thanator. A healer was driven to distraction by a bone-eating plague that had all but consumed her people. So this bone-eating plague is consuming the people, and they have they have nothing. They are they are praying to anyone who will hear them, and who will save them from this horrifying fate that they're enduring. And Nurgle listens, and he is a kind god. And so upon the people, he sends seven new plagues, and so potent. These plagues are that in all but a night, the bone-eating plague is gone. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, the the surviving people are now racked inside out by plagues, but not the bone-eating plague. I'm pretty sure they just all died in one night, and then they're like, "Okay, well, now we have to deal with the corpses' diseases coming out." <laughs> yeah, well, no, and, and the people who survived became the first, um, the first of the <laughs> maggotkin, actually. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, and so we still have a few more gods in their domains, and it was in um, the realms claimed by the plagued uh, by the by the great horned rat. The Skaven had all but consumed everything, leaving nothing but like wastelands, and uh, the people that exist in this wasteland are are bone thin, and they're only allowed to live by the entertainment of the Skaven that live there. And even all of those people would eventually be taken in by things like Clan Molder to be used in experiments or to be used as food to further the expansion of the Great Skaven yeah, Empire. There, like, yeah, there's so many times where like the Skaven are bad guys in the books, and then it's just like, yes, this is the, this is the pit of our people food. And it's just like, here's 100 yep. slaves thrown in a hole in a cavern. It's like, Jesus, chill, guys. Yes. Uh, if you ever want to read some dark shit, just look up Clan Molder. <laughs> the rest of the Skaven clans are kind of fun. Like, oh, we're going to be goofy science boys. We're going to be goofy, like, warrior boys. And then you get to Clan Molder, and it's like, all right, so we stuck a bunch of people in that vat over there, mixed it up a little bit, and we're like, all right, is that goo strong? All right, well, we've made a giant monster that seems to be in agonizing pain. But it's really strong, right? All right, throw some chains on it and just kind of throw it in the battlefield and see what happens. Yeah. Like that'll probably be useful. <laughs> like clan clan molders. Um, mm, everybody contributes in Skaven society. Uh, <laughs> and then of course it, it goes on to explain that the most surreal of these realms that were left were those by Zinch that were warped beyond like any sense of order. And the great sorcerers of Zinch would catch any person that would exist in their realm and throw them into these ever-changing mazes of just nightmares and horror and pain and suffering for their own amusement. And over all of this, over every one of the realms would be the what uh, the three-eyed king Archeon. Because he had brought this about among the mortals, he reigned supreme. At the side of every cruel and sadistic, there was one of Archeon's followers to ensure that his will was being done. And there was no escaping, there was no end to this misery and chaos that the mortal realms were forced to live in. And then there's a last little paragraph here that closes off the Age of Chaos that really summarizes everything here. 
The Talons of Chaos had dug hard into the peoples of the mortal realm. In every land, across every generation, those who had grown strong under the rule of Sigmar's pantheon found themselves cast into the dirt to grovel under the iron heels of their oppressors. As easy as it was to see the terrors inflicted upon the people as gross misfortune, or as the acts of a malevolent outside force upon the innocent populace, the wise knew that this was not the case at all. Here was the darkness of the hearts of every man and woman made manifest. The nightmares lurking within every soul given form and set against the people that they once called kin. For the chaos gods were formed of the hopes, lusts, fears, and urges of mortal souls. Their worshippers, too, were people. Those who not only turned from their own kind, but who had sold them souls to the Eldritch forces so that they may gain instead of suffer through the onslaught. Among the nation of men were those who fought back with blade, spear, hammer, even tooth and nail, refusing to give in. Most ended their lives imperiled, hung as grinly adornments, or beheaded in the dirt. Their pike-mounted skulls, a warning to those who would rebel against their masters. The most tenacious of these warriors, those who spat in the face of chaos even unto death, would one day meet a different fate. But for many decades... These doomed heroes were visited by the worst punishments of all. And that brings us to the age of Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's not good right now. No. Unless you are one of the people that the Chaos Gods like. Yeah. And it's probably not even that good for you anyways. I just love how everything fell apart pretty much so insanely quickly once Sigmar lost his hammer. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the moment like the, that the Chaos Gods were like, okay, cool, we win. Like, what's he going to do? Yeah, that's the um, issue with having a single artifact that's, like, the most powerful artifact in, in the realms and also your source of power. Yeah. You, you need to, you know, need to have different sources of power. I feel like, Sig, part of me wonders, and maybe this is because I don't know the lore enough yet. It really feels like Sigmar spent a lot of time focusing specifically on building up civilization, but not enough time focusing on specifically dealing with chaos when it eventually returned. Like, there wasn't a lot of things in place to stop chaos, because I assume it gained roots almost identically in the old world. Like, it doesn't, it never just appears. There's a, there's the major difference between the old world and the mortal realms. So basically, Sigmar was like, Sigmar and the gods were like, if we don't talk about it, if we don't let the mortals know about it, it won't be a problem. When these people do... If they do come into contact with chaos, we'll deal with it. We'll kill them out. We'll erase them from history. Won't we? Won't have a problem. And then also, the mortal realms were just so pure that chaos couldn't get in. That I think Sigmar was yeah. just, you know, he he used that as too much of a crutch. And yeah, he should have, you know, had at least some sort of something in the back pocket to deal with large scale chaos, or like if something like this happened. But again, yeah, it takes a lot of effort to start raising thriving, booming civilizations on eight different realms, even if you find respective gods to help out. Like, that's a major undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is that as much as Sigmar could watch mortals, he couldn't watch mortal hearts, and that's where chaos yeah, attacks. Yeah, exactly. And like, and like I said earlier in the podcast, it's easier to keep track of smaller numbers, but once, yeah, those numbers get massive, stuff starts happening. And something like Age of Sigmar, where, you know, souls are very, very important, not only to the people that they yes. belong to, but to the gods. 
So the more soul that there is in the universe, I assume that would help throw off the balance. And if your people's souls start getting corrupted just on the fact that there's more opportunity to do bad shit now, that's just what happens. So like I said, I, I really think it was an inevitable and more so like it just it made sense to me more so than it just being a plot point. Humanity likes to fuck up things. I don't think he likes to. It just happens. He put he takes so much puts so much on his plate, something's bound to fall off. I said humanity. Oh sorry, the... sorry. <laughs> no worries. But yeah, no, uh humanity likes to just mess up. Well, not necessarily likes to just we get and when I say we, you know, in the context of this it includes elves, dwarves and all that. But they, you know, they give into their hubris. They start thinking, yeah, we, we can conquer anything. We don't need to be careful because mm-hmm. we're the best. And the chaos gods prey on that. Absolutely. That's, that's what they're waiting for. So uh, I believe that's uh, going to be the end of kind of our lore that. section for today. Uh, covered a bit of Age of Myth. Covered, you know, the basis of the Age of Chaos, we think. Again, it's not a, a perfect retelling or anything like that. So we uh, will definitely be coming back to mentions of the Age of Myth, Age of Chaos, stuff like that as uh, we go through books further on. Just because books later on are going to give you flashbacks and stuff like that. It's really, really cool and looking forward to talking about that later on. With that... I think we're going to switch over to one of our final segments, a model watch. All right. So my choice for this week on model watch is Kulathis, the exile. How did we say we were going to pronounce it? Kulathis? Kulathis. Kulathis. I don't know. It it was, it sounded like health loss to me earlier when I was trying to pronounce it. It was messing me up. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this model. It's definitely not, like, the most exciting model that I've seen in a while, but just solid. I really like the pose. I really like the bow. The the way that the hair kind of flies to the back of the lantlers. Like, this is just a solid elf-looking elf, yeah. you know? And especially for... Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, especially... I don't think they're really doing a lot of, like, wood elf models anymore. I don't know if I'm just missing them somewhere. But, like, this is a very, like, wood elf style elf and i really appreciate that i really like this model it seems that the wood elves are going to eventually become the karnathi because uh like the skiffs wild hunter label as karnathi as well and they're all they're kind of beastie elves this one's not so beastie other than maybe the horns she has on her head but they have labeled her as a karnathi in the article that they showed her off in mm-hmm. so something to keep in mind Seems like they're slowly building up to that. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a possibility of them getting added to like a Sylvaneth battle tome to help flesh them out or something like that. So man, we'd love to have more units because we don't have much. (laughs) But yeah, that was just my choice. Just a very solid model. Um, Not not a faction that I play or that I'm super like finally dying to see, but just one that I'm I'm happy to see a model for that I really like. It's a super dynamic model and. I'm going to be buying the the Cursed City box anyways, so I'll eventually own it. <laughs> <laughs> I may get it as well, depending if I get permission to get it from my wife. So we'll see. Uh, and that brings us to me. Me stabbing Greg in the back and saying, aha, these are my choices. Yes. I guess they're your choices now. 
as you struggle for breath because the daggers in your lungs. Um, <laughs> anyways, I have chosen two of the Daughters of Cain endless spells. Starting off with the Blood Rack Viper. True to its name, it is a viper covered in blood. It is simple. Uh, it is a terrifying looking snake. I can see it being used in a bunch of conversions. I love the detail of the oozing blood coming off it. It you know, may not be super dynamic per se, but oh, it's kind of, uh, looking at the scales. It's got a pretty cool pose. It's got a really nice pose. It's got a cool pose. The scales on it are really nice. I can see them taking the contrast really well. I think it's going to be a great looking spell on the table, but also a really great conversion. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I call it Goop Snake. It is Goop Snake. <laughs> he is the Goop Snake. And I love him. I, I really agree with what you said on the, the contrast paints. Like, looking at it now, like, yeah. Somebody, lots of people are going to be slapping some Blood Angels contrast paint on this. <laughs> <laughs> it was born for Blood Angels contrast paint. It might even have, you know, a key factor that in the name. Blood. <laughs> it's true. And that brings me to my second choice. The Heart. A fury. <laughs> Heart of Fury is an endless spell, which basically is a floating, bleeding fist gauntlet thing holding what looks to be the Heart of Cain. The Heart of Cain being an artifact that the um, now goddess uh, Marathi has hold of. But yeah, it's not quite... It's supposed to be um, something in semblance of the Heart of Cain. But yeah, it's super cool. Like, I love how it's just a floating fist. Blood is holding it off from the ground. Almost, I could totally imagine someone converting this up and making it look like a flying fist that's flying mm-hmm. in someone's face. Absolutely, uh, that would be really I cool. I did see this getting uh, slapped onto like a mega target or something like that later on. Oh, did I just oh. give you an idea? I like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. May not be once again super dynamic, but it is still really cool looking. Has some nice detail in the heart. Um, and I think it'll look once again really cool on the table when people get in or able yeah, to play with it. I, you know, Games Workshop through their like endless spells and like that, they do a really good job with blood and just using it to keep stuff up. Like between them and like corn and stuff like that, they got some really cool endless spells. Oh yeah, for certain. All right. Uh, with that being Carlin's last pick, um, I have two picks for this week. I love these models, and then I also, there's one thing that I don't like about these models, and uh, I'm going to explain that by saying I really hope that these two models come with helmet options. So my my two picks for this week are the Uriel Ventress model, (laughs) coming with the, what is it, the anniversary models? Yeah, the, the new story anniversary models, so mine's coming out in a few weeks. Now I think uh, my local store post and says it's going to be four weeks. Yeah, my picks are Uriel Ventress and Silas Beastbane. Uriel Ventress is the, the 40k model. Uh, he's the Ultramarine. I just, I really like the armor. Really like his weapons. I just think it's awesome. Just like him and Silas Beastbane have, easiest way to say is a yee ass haircut. Yeah, they, they don't got... I just... Yeah. You know what? It's fine. You just slap any other yeah. head on that, and yeah. you're fine. Like, just any normal marine helmet on that, you're fine. You're good yeah, to go. Yeah, so I'll, I'll probably, I mean, I probably won't pick up the Euro Ventress one, but if I can in the future, I might grab it to, if I ever play Ultramarines. I just, I don't like stuff that comes with chapter-specific iconography, like, on the specific model. 
and more than just the shoulder pad. Mm. But going to the second one, the Silas Beastbane, again, yee-yee-ass haircut, but god damn do I love that Retributor armor and that new weapon that they have, the, like, the hammer axe. I'm really hoping that we can actually see a unit of Retributors in the future with that option, because I would take it just based on looks. It's so cool. <laughs> the one thing, it'll feel a little weird with the Silas Beastbane model if you bring him against, you know, like a non-Beast of Chaos army because it's just going to be like, yeah, he's just bringing this, you know, giant bulldog head to this battle for no reason. Right. So this this is the conversion that some everybody has to do. You've got to magnetize the head so you can swap mm -hmm. it out for a different head for whatever faction you're facing. That's 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 conversion <laughs> goals. Yeah, I'm not gonna try and do that. That's too much work. My my guy will he'll have the head and you wanna know what? It'll uh it'll work. I just added an image. Uh these are alternate heads from Forge World for oh, Stormcast. Yeah. I think he would look badass with one of these. The mutton chops. Yes. He would look absolutely <laughs> badass with one of these alternate heads and it work way better than this ye haircut. Having toxic masculinity here or anything like that, but just having something way more manly looking carrying that beast head. At least that's or my just a normal Or just a normal Stormcast head would be good too. Yes, but I think for absolute power look, having one of these, especially like maybe the guy with the lightning bolt eye patch, mm -hmm. that would look great. And just... For me, I'm I'm very biased. The Retributor helmet is like my favorite style of Stormcast helmet that they have. And just, I don't think they've really put out very many bad Space Marine helmets. I also fall under the, if you're going to be fighting in a battle, keep your damn helmet on. Nah, Sigmar will protect you. Makes me think of a line from the movie uh, Dread, <laughs> where the one girl was like uh, asked by Dread, like, well, aren't you going to put on your helmet? Well, the helmet messes with my psychic abilities. Hmm. I think a bullet would mess with one. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And, like, you know, 40K. Sigmar protects. The bullets in 40K are literally 40 millimeter grenade rounds. Yeah, but in that case, the Emperor protects. <laughs> There's always somebody to protect. Like, you're fine. Yeah. Just believe hard enough, and the bullets won't hit your face. Uh, just don't ask the Marines that have had bullets. <laughs> it was the second bullet that did it. Their faith stopped the first one, it was the second one. <laughs> You only get one divine divine intervention per day. You yeah. don't get a second. All right. All right. I believe. Yeah, that's the all the models we have from Model Watch this week. All right, you're just out. So yeah, today was a bit of a long episode. I hope that you were entertained and you know learned something from today's episode. Uh, and as as always, we want to thank you for listening to Realm Walkers, our podcast. And by joining us, we would like to extend that invitation to you and give the title of Realm Walkers upon you as well. I still still think we should be charging. Uh, I don't know why we're giving away that title for free. <laughs> I'm just angry. I want money. So pay me for the Realm Walker title. I, I, you can have I'm, it from me. I'm just saying, no great order started charging. <laughs> what do you mean? Sigmar was like five years in. He was like, all right, Stormcast, now you got to pay a subscription fee to use the Anvil of Apotheosis. Nah. <laughs> Microtransactions, do you want to respawn? <laughs> Watch an ad. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we look forward to having you join us next time as we talk more about the Age of Sigmar and we begin the long, arduous journey of the Realmgate Wars.
Oh boy, we got a while. We got a lot to go yeah. through. Really, arduous might be the wrong word. The stories are very fun. They're chocked full of great characters and awesome moments and epic, huge. Oh battles. yeah, absolutely. Like I think some of the like some of the writing in these books have been some of the best writing that I've ever read, especially from specific authors. I won't play favorites too early, but <laughs> Josh Reynolds does a fantastic job at pretty much everything he touches in those series. It's true. Josh Reynolds has a special place in my heart, too. Little man boy crush <laughs> going on. I have not yet been introduced to this Josh Reynolds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I've heard good things. You've read Soul Wars. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. then he, cool. He's kept that level. I mean, Soul Wars was really good, but like everything's about that level when he writes. I love it. All right, well, I think that's it then. So thank you, everybody. Uh, I guess that's it. See yeah, ya. and uh, also a last little thing that I want oh. to add, almost forgot to. If you've listened this far and you would like to, you know, give us some comments, some constructive criticism, or just, you know, let us know what you like or want to hear in the future, uh, you can contact us at realmwalkersaos, all lowercase, at gmail.com again we would really appreciate feedback it will only help us get better and we're really that's that's the goal of what we're trying to do here is to get better every episode and make this more entertaining for you alternatively you can also go to our facebook page we have raw markers and age of sigmar podcast on facebook so feel free to check us out there follow us give us a like and you know give us constructive criticism we want to continually get better and we can only do that by listening to you guys all right thank you for your time And we'll see you next time. Thanks. See ya. See ya.